0: Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host Aoife O'Brien, the podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Welcome to episode 21 of the Happier at Work podcast, which kicks off our leadership series. I'm not sure how long the leadership series is going to go on for because people seem very interested in learning lots of different things about leadership specifically. So I would love to know if there is anything that you would like to know, please reach out and get in touch. I will put all the details in the show notes. Today's episode, I speak with Bernard Jackman, all about the parallels between leadership in sport and leadership in business. And I just could have spoken to Bernard all day. We had such a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. I also have some really great guests lined up over the coming weeks for the Leadership Series. So I hope you stay tuned and really enjoy and keep the feedback coming. Welcome Bernard to the Happy at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, my name is Bernard Jackman and I'm 43 years old and I'm living in Dublin. My background is uh, it's pretty varied actually. I, I spent uh, 14 years as a professional rugby player, 8 years as a professional rugby coach. Um, I set up my own retail business uh, businesses when I was 23, 24 while I was a professional rugby player. Uh, I had a stint as a, a pharmaceutical sales rep. Um, Now I'm working for a fintech company called uh, Refinitiv, so I'm I'm an account manager in Ireland. I'm I'm transitioning out of professional coaching into into the real corporate world in in a sales role, and um, I studied international marketing in Japanese, and when I retired I went back and did a a master's in sports and exercise management with a a thesis in the correlation between high performance behaviours in sports and, and elite sports and business teams. So um, I've been really lucky, really varied, uh, I suppose, background and lots of different experiences and um, lots of learnings.
0: Yeah, absolutely, quite a varied background. Now, something you mentioned there about your thesis and and I suppose it sounds to me like the relationship between high performance in team sports and in elite sports and in, in business. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that and what, what were the kind of the key findings?
1: Yeah, well, I think I was very lucky. I mean, when you're in um, a professional sport environment, um, you know, you're surrounded with people who are obviously incredibly talented, but generally have, you know, a huge amount of focus, huge amounts of motivation uh, and drive. And um, and in fairness, you know, I was part of, uh, I suppose, the Leinster team that won their first European Cup in in 2009. um, and, uh, And Ireland won a Grand Slam in 2009. So I was part of both those squads, which was great. But more importantly, I was. Part of the squads the, the year before and the year before that and the year before that, where we probably didn't fulfil our potential. So um, I saw how important that that high performance culture was, uh, and it wasn't just a case of of getting you know uh, twenty three talented pl- people um, in a dressing room and and you're going automatically going to get trophies. So um, I suppose being being part of that transition from you know being a, a talented team into. Been a, a successful and high-performing team with, with a really good culture was really interesting to me. And then when I retired, I wanted to see, um, you know, I, I could see in sport that there was a lot of usage of of business terms and business processes. And then I think it flipped full circle, and 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 business started to look at sport. And I just wanted to, you know, look at some what I felt were successful teams um, in business and sport, uh, and. I suppose, one, you know, just see them with my own eyes and, and speak to people in those teams and try and find out, you know, why they're successful and, and what's important to them. And then, obviously, from a, a theoretical point of view as well, you know, when you when you write a, 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 a thesis, um, you got to be able to back it up with, um, you know, with the with with the academic writings as well. So it was just a really good, um, interesting process for me. I'm something I'm massively passionate about. I'm passionate, passionate about developing, you know, strong leaders, you know, been in a really high-performing environment individually and, and collectively and um, I, as I said I, I was very lucky to be to have the sports background but I didn't really have the business background so um, yeah I went uh, as part of my of my thesis I went and invested in in myself and um, I visited you know Dyson in the UK uh, Rolls Royce um, I visited Rolex in in, uh, in Switzerland um, I visit Toyota in a Toyota factory in, in Japan, um, and you know, I, I then I, from a sporting point of view, obviously, I, I stuck to to rugby to a certain extent by by spending a, a couple of weeks with the Canterbury Crusaders, who were the most successful Super Rugby side. Um, I went to visit Melbourne Storm, who were at the time the most successful rugby league team, and uh, I spent some time with IMG in Florida, um, which who have a lot of you know highly successful tennis players. And, you know, I spent uh, a week or five days at Manchester United. So, um, yeah, it was just brilliant just observing, you know, I suppose, high performers and high performing teams at, at work. And, uh, you know, I believe there's a, um, there's a lot of correlation between, between both sport and business and, and, and from what I can read and study, you know, military and medicine as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. and, and, I suppose it's not something I would have automatically considered, the relationship between, and I know we've talked about this before, but the relationship between sport and and you've used the term high performing and high performers several times. And from the companies that you've mentioned and from the teams that you've mentioned, I can see that they are high performing. So I suppose what I'd really like to know is, what lessons did you learn?
1: I think they all have real clear purpose. Um, and that's probably the, um the most important thing. They they have a purpose that's bigger than the individual um needs and, and desire and motivation. And I felt that, you know, the companies that Perfect. that I looked up to and got to see, um, you know, they were willing to do a little bit more um to do something as part of a team and, and drive team success and, and and move the company forward. You know, the, 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 the factory workers in Toyota, for example, were so proud of of their part, um, you know, on the on the conveyor belt of of bringing, um, you know, x amount of cars through the through the factory in a given day, and um, you know they had their their efficiency targets, um, and for them it was a matter of of real pride, and, and and you know they they saw themselves as as Toyota Toyota being part of their their mark or their DNA, um, and and part of what they were, and in, in, it's very different probably here at the moment, but in Japan. I mean, there's a huge amount of kudos and self, self, um, self worked around being a one-company man or woman for your whole career, and you know, really being part of, of, of the that company's success. Um, you know, probably Rolex. Rolex is obviously it's about quality, you know, and they'll spend as long as they need um, to build a, a a watch that you know will, will last generations. And um, you know, Dyson was Dyson was around. You know, everybody having a, a creative um, point of view and feeling that psychological safety that, you know, if they have a, an idea um, to make something better that could work, that could help the company, that that could be shared and, and taken on board. And not always acted on, because um, obviously, you know, you, you can't act on every idea. But, um, you know, they felt that it was, it, it, that they were very much a part of the of yeah. Dyson so again it doesn't have to be the same every company will have their own unique um, way of doing things and, and, and environment and set of behaviours but I found um, that the teams who were successful that I visited and that I played in you know had a really strong said purpose and understanding of you know what they want to look back on in 10 or 15 years time at their period in that company if it's not something that they can do forever and you know say well I was part of moving that that company or that team from from X to Y, and um, that's the, that's that was the big finding for me is a is a really strong and understood sense of purpose around where the company or team needs to go.
0: Yeah, no, it's really really interesting, and um, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on. But first of all, I suppose having a clear purpose is is probably not enough. So presumably that's set from senior leaders, but how do they then elicit that? Or how do they communicate it? Or how do they share that within the teams that they work with?
1: Well, I think what they need to do then is you need to say, okay, um, if we want to achieve this and, and and that's going to be our you know our our purpose. Well, you know, what are the behaviors that we need to have as a team to to get there? And, and obviously on top of that, then you need a really good um, you need a really good strategy. You need a really good purpose. Um, you know, I think it's an often used uh, quote or sp- culture eat strategy for breakfast but I think that you know high performing teams are really clued into the importance of both you know um so the, your culture is your set of behaviors so you know how you expect uh, people to act uh, and behave in that team what's acceptable what's not acceptable um what's really cherished and you know and what's I suppose, acknowledged when there's, you know, really good behaviors. And I think that's the big thing as well. I mean, you know, people see a set of agreed behaviors as as sometimes maybe confining or, or a negative. Whereas I think the really good cultures, they are very good at recognizing you know good behavior and recognizing you know uh, really good standards and, and making people know that you recognize it and, and acknowledging that and that energy and positivity that comes from i suppose a job well done or, or 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 a value well lived um can really motivate people and and, and increase their you know their sense of of self-worth and their happiness in work you know and uh, i know that's a, a huge uh, area of specialization for you but um I, I definitely, I definitely feel that people, when they get, when they work well, uh, or they behave well, and and contribute, when that's acknowledged, it, it gives a deep sense of self satisfaction. So, um, along then, obviously you said with the, with the strategy, you know, really having a clear cut plan, um, that everyone knows their role in that plan, and you know, there's an accountability point of view then to to go and do it, and and um, and if the plan has to change, well then. know that's clearly communicated so you know real clear communication around what the strategy is and you know what you can measure measure so people get you know really clear and clarity around their influence and their performance
0: so there's a lot of stuff there that I would like to kind of drill into in a little bit more detail so I'm really glad that you said that the culture is about the behaviors and how you expect people to act um something that was asked of me recently and I thought was quite interesting and I'd love to get your perspective on it, is how um it's this whole carrot and stick, I suppose, and it's how you drive that behaviour. So if you have people if you would like people to act in a certain way, how do you go about I, you did mention about recognizing and, and acknowledging when people are enacting those behaviors. But on the other hand, ha, what happens when people are not demonstrating those behaviors or, or they're acting almost kind of against what, how you might expect it and how, how do you go about uh, putting a stop to that?
1: Well, I think the the most important thing before you try and um, I suppose, supervise or, you know, drive standards is you got to live them yourself and, and, um, you know, you've got to be the role model um, and you need more than one role model. You need a lot of role models, um, you know, in, in your leadership team who are, I suppose, who hold themselves to account and who who are basically ambassadors for for those behaviors and values. And I think once that's um, once that's very much part of of your your makeup, and, um, you know, as a as a, as a person. And, you know, you, you can be really confident in, in, in the fact that you are living those behaviors and values, um, then you can start to sit down with, you know, with with your team and 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 talk about it and just, you know, use examples and, you know, use real life examples pretty quickly. You know, I, I believe if you see something, say something. And, you know, so often in, in, in poorly, poor performing teams or teams of poor culture, you know, management or leaders will be unhappy with someone's behavior for, for a while before, they address it and and, um and sometimes that that individual may not be aware of 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 some of their behaviors or or the influence they're having on the group in a negative way and um you know i i I think that pro sport has, has been a great learning learning playground for me because you know we get feedback um instantly you know pretty much you can get feedback through a message from a um, the waterboy during a game, halftime, post game, you know the Monday morning reviews are are, are very to the point, um, as I said. But you can handle that because you know generally we we got really good clarity around what was expected of us and what was um, to- going to be tolerated and what was going to be encouraged. Uh, so you knew what you had to do, and then if you don't follow through on that, um, particularly around the non-skill errors. I mean, I'm not talking about skills. Um, I'm talking about, you know, attitude, um, you know, things like work rate, effort, um, enthusiasm, body language, things that you really can't control um, yourself. And, you know, I-, I loved the fact that we were able to get such instant feedback. But what I've noticed in the corporate world and in some teams are, you know, it's only really the quarterly or or, or bi-yearly or yearly uh, reviews where sometimes uh, individuals within a team really find out what you know how their behavior is, is being seen or or how they how they're seen by by the other team and even then sometimes you know people don't have the the bravery or the honesty to, to actually be completely transparent and give them feedback on that and and um you know they they probably don't communicate enough with with someone who's under, or is underperforming and end up that person feels disenfranchised and performs worse or, you know, doesn't feel part of the team, isn't happy in working, um, ends up looking for an opportunity somewhere else or is let go. So um, I was always of the mindset of I'd rather know where I am, uh, I'd rather know how I'm performing um, as regularly as possible. Um, And again, you know, use real-life examples and things that are measurable as much as possible um, to give me that feedback. And then, you know, that gives me a chance to, to adapt and, and, and learn and, and, and I suppose, perform better. You know, and it's my choice then. I know exactly what the um, what the expected um, standards are, behaviours are, and I either match up to those or, you know, or, or I realise, you know, that it's not the right place for me to, um, to work and, and to, I suppose, uh, apply myself. Yeah,
0: no, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, I think. So it really starts with this, the whole idea of, of, setting the expectation around what the behaviors should be and then communicating and delivering feedback when someone does and you know you acknowledge that they've performed uh, well but also equally if they haven't performed well and not waiting for the quarterly review or the annual review and having having the guts really to communicate that feedback now i want to talk a little bit more about that because that's something i think that a lot of people struggle with, it's having those, what I call the crucial conversations. So being able to have those conversations and it's it's all great, you know, to be you and to say, uh, like, I'm very accepting of feedback and I'd love to get feedback and I'd love to know how I can perform better and take that on board. However, not everyone is like that. So I suppose I want to address it from two perspectives. It's the person who's delivering the feedback and the best approach that you can take to, to give that. And I know you said, you know, it's it needs to be timely and it needs to be immediate. And you're in the lucky position, having had that experience of getting immediate feedback. But also from the perspective of the individual. Now, I tend to actively go out and seek feedback from people. That's how I operate because I know that I would like to perform at my best. But not everyone is like that. So I'd love to kind of approach it from those two different perspectives of, how does someone who's who's kind of afraid to deliver feedback how do they overcome that fear and deliver really good feedback and then also from the individual's perspective who's afraid to receive feedback because they think that it's saying something really really bad about them and their performance has been poor and um you know they just i suppose they're not very good at at taking feedback on board
1: yeah i think um I think there's you probably have to have a slightly different mindset for both, um, both both both, both cases. So for the person who's given the feedback, um, if it's someone who's given feedback regularly and that's part of the, their role as a leader, um, I think you know you need to understand that your your role is to coach, your role is to mentor, your role is to help people perform better. And giving that feedback is is absolutely crucial. So whether you like it or not, whether, whether you're comfortable with it or not, you need to get comfortable with it. And um, the best way to get comfortable is with it is to understand how effective that is as a way of, of helping people achieve their goals. You know, so bar just to and see this as a gift and, and see it as a you know as a I suppose a, a tool. That you have been given um, by stature, or because of past achievement, or because of your qualities as a performer, to um, hopefully mentor others and 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 bring them through again to help them achieve what they want to achieve and become, you know, leaders in the future or become, you know, um, successful at what they want to do. So it's something that's very serious. It's a responsibility. I think you have to take very seriously. Uh, and again you you need to probably have self-confidence self-belief to be able to do that effectively and um, I think that's that's gonna be helped by understanding a little bit more about yourself and having a really strong sense of of your strengths and where you're where you're good um and you know obviously uh, the humility to, to understand where you're weak and where you need to to work on because you know um it's very, very critical to to bring somebody in and, and you know give a very harsh give very harsh feedback and um, if you don't understand that you know you have a huge amount to to improve on as well and being open to say that uh, and um, having that humility to say look at you know these are areas I have struggled with in the past that I've turned into strengths or these are areas that I continue to struggle with but this is my this is my plan to 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 improve in those areas uh, because. You know, most, more often than not, I I've, well, all the time, actually, I feel if you're giving feedback, you need to also give solutions uh, yeah. in terms of, you know, if the person doesn't have the understanding or the skill set or the, or, um, the tools to, to fix that area that, you, that you're maybe critiquing, you know, you need to make sure that uh, as, a, as, a, as a leader and as a, uh, as a company or as a team, you know, you, you find the resources um, to help them and to make a plan. So the next time you sit down with them, they're better equipped to actually um, perform that task, you know, at the level that that's, that's needed. Uh, so that, that be it for me is, is having real humility, uh, but also an understanding of, of what your strengths are and, you know, why you are, I suppose, qualified to, to give this feedback. Um, and, um, if you don't have that confidence in yourself, I think you'll always flap around a little bit and, um you know you won't give give it the, the quality the quality feedback that 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 your your team needs um from an individual point of view i think again you need to who, who's looking for feedback or is, is shy or, or or afraid of feedback it's often around the fear of failure and seeing negativity as um as a big step backwards i think if you can you know Open up uh, and have a really growth mindset, and and see that feedback as as fuel for you know for improvement, um, and see failure as a learning. Um, well, then it's it's a much better thing. where sometimes I think we 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 can fall into the trap of of seeing reviews and feedback as a dangerous situation for us because it could open up. Uh, what we see is a negative um, conversation, which is around things that we're not doing as well as we would like. Whereas, I think if you've got a, a growth mindset and you you really understand, you know how how important and, and what learning um, what learning is about, um, and you want to be you want to be stretched, um, well then you know you will embrace that you know at, at, at a much better. Uh, in a much better way, and you're going to be much more open to it. And eventually, you know, uh, you'll be like you are if where you you actually want it, you know. And um, you know, I don't know if you saw the um the study uh, in that Daniel Coyle speaks about in his book, The Talent Code, um, where they're comparing, you know, why the Japanese and uh, kids are much better at maths than the U.S. kids. Yeah. yeah. So they basically put um, it was an educational study. They put video cameras in a classroom in Japan and um, and a classroom in America and they taped it for for a long period. So it was an eighth grade algebra class. Um, And it turned out the American class, the the students were struggling a little bit um, and only, you know, struggling only about 2% of the time. So basically they were very much in their comfort zone and it was only 2% of the overall uh, total um, educational period that they were stretched a little bit um but the japanese class they were stretched 40 percent of the time and uh so basically and the japanese um algebra results at, at eighth grade are, are far higher than than the uh equivalent in in, in america so it's just an you know it, it would feed into my belief around around self-improvement and 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 learning would is that you need to constantly Be at a not constantly, but you need to regularly be at a, 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 I suppose, a a period of of stretch where you know you you achieve something, you're performing quite well, and then you know there's an opportunity to maybe get a little bit more uncomfortable, um, uh, to improve again, or be taking a little bit outside your uh, your area of expertise. And I think that the feedback sessions are are an ideal opportunity for that to to understand you know where you are at at the moment, and then you know understand you know be comfortable with that. And then find, I suppose, the next level for you to to go to somewhere else. Which again, you might be uncomfortable for a while, but you know, eventually, you will adopt the skill set and the, the understanding of that that role or those roles. And you suddenly, you know, uh, very quickly, you're a much m- uh, more all-rounded person and, and much more skilled um, to 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 play your role in helping the the company and the team achieve their purpose.
0: Yeah. Now, I love. Everything that you said there just ties in with everything that I believe, which is if I could summarize what you're saying about a leader providing feedback to me, it's about the self-awareness, like self-awareness is key for leaders to be really, really strong. It's understanding their own strengths. And I love this idea of bringing in a bit of humility. So um, Peter Lencioni talks about humility being really critical for teamwork so showing a degree of humility when you're dealing with people not thinking you have all the answers um, and it kind of ties in a little bit with showing a bit of vulnerability as well kind of based on what you were saying it's like well this is an area i still struggle with or this is an area i did struggle with and this is how i overcame it which kind of qualifies you to deliver that feedback and then this idea of the growth mindset um so you know there's a fixed growth there's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset a fixed mindset thinks, you know, it like it's like this fe- fear of failure that you mentioned. So it's it's all about you know, I I I can't learn anything new and I'm as good as I am and I'm not going to get any better and you know, and I think I actually had that in in certain aspects of my life. I definitely had that fixed mindset where I thought I am what I am and there's no way that I can improve. Um but I've definitely learned to develop a growth mindset in lots and lots of different areas of my life where it is about this, you know, it's receiving feedback, taking on feedback and using failure to, use, you know, quote unquote failure as a learning. So in my book, there is no such thing as failure. It's degrees of success. So you've taken something from what you've experienced and it's putting what you've learned into practice. So the next time you go to do it, then you've improved. Um, I love this idea of the talent code so i'll definitely have to check that book out as well something else you mentioned was stretching your comfort zone and i loved how you said that because recently i went to a talk in mayo and there was a lady talking about um your comfort zone and oftentimes we talk about stepping outside of our comfort zone which sounds a little bit scary but she used an, an analogy and she drew a nice picture of say a circle and then if you have a circle outside that which is slightly wider and that's you kind of stretching your comfort zone and you do stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, you, you, you do it and it goes OK and you do it again and you still feel like it's a bit uncomfortable. It's outside of your comfort zone and you do it and you do it. And then that stretches and that becomes your comfort zone then. And then you can stretch it even more by doing something else that's a little bit scary. And. Um, So I really, really liked that analogy that she had. And it's, it goes back to what you were saying about stretching. So being in a period of stretch 40% of the time, I love that.
1: I love that. Yeah. And we like, as a, as an ex um, professional uh, rugby player, you know, the gym work would have, would have kind of taught us that. So like we would have had, you know, for example, the bench press exercise, you know, we would have, Gradually put more weight on it, you know, every week, and, and and I had negative reps, which is basically where you actually can't lift the bar with the weight on, it, and your your mates have to kind of help you get um, lift lift lifted up. So you're not actually successfully on your own achieving, you know, the lift. But very quickly, your your body adapts to that that stretch and that, that stress, and suddenly then you are able to lift on your own. So you know, it's that it's that I suppose the physical um, ability to to adapt and and to succeed and, and and be stronger from from stretch and then obviously bringing that mindset to to things that aren't physical, you know, which are which is the mental stretch and and you know by putting yourself in situations, people who, are, who who hate public speaking or fear public speaking, you know, finding ways to to build up that I suppose that uncomfort and and turn it into something that they're they're comfortable with, even though. They may never be fully comfortable with something that doesn't hamper them from from doing it, and and um, it's just it's just finding finding things that you, you find uncomfortable or maybe are a weakness that you've you've shied away from, and trying to trying to get better at them, and um, and getting better at things usually involves failure. Like I've been incredibly lucky; I've achieved you know all my dreams as a professional rugby player, but but I lost. Uh, more games than I won over my career. Um and I, I, I've had unbelievable amount of disappointments and and rejections and and and, and being dropped, etc. But yet, you know, when I look back on it, you know, I wanted to win a European Cup, I did. I wanted to play for Ireland, I did. Um, you know, I wanted to play for my home province, I I did. I wanted to travel, I did. So um but in 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 amongst that there was an unbelievable amount of of failure and pain and and I suppose um loss of confidence and, and gain of confidence and uh, and just trying to build up your resilience and, and um, finding a way to succeed uh, and finding a way to succeed for me was always you know how can i get better and and you know how can i help the team better and uh you know so it was, a, it was an unbelievably good environment uh, but it certainly wasn't an easy environment and um and i think that's the that's the key is 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 to you know understand that's we all want. We all think we want to work in a place where, you know, everything is easy and um, there's no stress and, uh, and um, you know, it's like clockwork. But probably in terms of personal development and giving us the tools to, um, I suppose, be better, it, it, you know, that challenge in those tough times um, can often be where we actually find out more about ourselves and where we improve more.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So something that really resonated with me there and something I've been thinking a lot about lately is this the idea of the physical ability and um the mental side of things as well. So if you think about it from a physical uh, ability, <clears throat> something that occurred to me was if you can overcome these physical restrictions, so say at the moment there's no way that I could run a marathon. I couldn't just go out tomorrow and run a marathon. However, if I trained for six months or a year or however long it takes, and I, and I improved um, you know, a, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, until eventually I was able to run a marathon. In achieving that huge physical goal, uh, do I then, so I, I, I'm like, do I suddenly become able to overcome any challenge in my life? whether that is another physical challenge or kind of a mental thing and some of the the other things I'm thinking of so recently I saw on Instagram Mel Robbins for years had wanted to uh, do a backflip off a boat so she had a video where her son had videoed her he taught her how to do the backflip and she did it and for years she had been afraid to do it she didn't know how to do it and she plucked up the courage anyway and she did it. But she said she had practiced so many times and she learned from her son and she improved and she got better. Um, and the other thing that springs to mind that's kind of popping up a lot in my consciousness recently is Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method and the using cold. So whether it's being exposed to the cold, especially the Irish Sea, so, you know, being in or taking an ice bath or something like that and overcoming that. Physical kind of sensation, or physical pain, or physical coldness on your body, but using mental resilience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I think a lot of people um, do. I suppose they they use their their sense of of achievement and and uh, I suppose the success they get from overcoming physical challenges, whether it's a marathon or whether it's you know, an a ice bath or, or a hike, etc. as it gives them confidence for non-physical tasks. Uh, and, and that's something because it's a challenge that maybe, as you said, you know, uh, running a marathon today might look like it's, it's impossible. But what you understand then is you break it down and you you basically follow a process and follow a plan. And eventually, you know, you succeed in running a marathon. And, and, you know, it, it's not the it's not the actual running a marathon isn't going to help you, you know, deliver a better presentation. Um, but if, if you follow the same process, you know, and, and, you know, you, you work out what, what tools, what skills or materials do I need um to give a great presentation? Uh, um, they're very similar in terms of the process. So I think that what, it, what, what doing those physical challenges can do is it gives you an understanding of, um, you know, just because you want something, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, and there has to be you know, sweat equity as well, um, in terms of putting time into it, um, but also, um, you know, a very solid and robust plan. And maybe during the course of that plan, then need to adapt whether you know, some you know, there's, there's pressure in work or family pressure, or there's an injury where you know you can't follow exactly to a team, being able to adapt that plan to still achieve your goal, which is run a marathon. Well, you know, if you follow that kind of process with other areas that at the moment you struggle with um, and you have a, an outcome that's that's a fixed point in the future that you know you know you're going to be measured or tested in um, well you know repeating that process again ordinarily wants to pl- if the plan is um, is correct and you have the, the I suppose the tools and the skills around you to help you you know you will you will actually succeed then so Um, I think that's why it's a great um, it's a great help to people and a lot of a lot lot of people don't who succeed in something that get a great sense of of self-worth and that again helps them also in terms of you know achieving other things
0: yeah I think it, it ties back into what you were saying as well Bernard about you know you feel that you've achieved everything despite all of the disappointments and there's something um is it Michael Jordan or something and I was saying that he's the number of um three-point throws shots. that he's misses. This the number of shots. Yeah. yeah, that's it. The number of shots that he's missed um in his career. right ways the numbers that he's got and things like that. So, um, you know, it's it's reframing how you're actually thinking about this and going back to what we said earlier as well about it's the growth mindset and it's taking learning from everything. So you know, you mentioned you had failure, pain, yeah. loss but of confidence. The is, yeah,
1: the problem with IFA is uh, currently um we live in a in a highlights uh, world oh, so yeah. you know a golfer a golfer wants to um you know watch tiger woods or, or Shane Larry and he goes on to YouTube you know he'll see the best shots he's he's ever hit he'll see the moment lifting the chart uh, the claret joke um but he don't he don't see the struggles he don't see. Shane Lowry as a as a twelve year old playing two rounds a day, um, you know, and they don't see him um, out in the golf course, um, you know, three hours before you know the competition starts, working, going through his routine. So that's the that's the big issue at the moment is that um, it it's it's harder to see um, the struggle, and it's harder to see uh, the dedication. As I said. The, the sweat equity that people the successful people that we that we see as role models and we want to uh, emulate um we only see the end outcome and uh and below that is an unbelievable uh, struggle and, and and journey to to get there so i think that's really important to understand that um the people that we envy and and, and sometimes we go oh he's so lucky he's she's or she's so lucky you know she, she's just talented, um, you know, the reality is that people obviously have, you know, have have great talents across the spectrum, but, you know, ordinarily or or normally there's been a huge um, amount of effort put in to polish those talents and and perform at the highest level.
0: Yeah. So oftentimes it's, um, what we see is an overnight success. But in fact, we what we don't see is everything that goes underneath that, and it it reminds me of the the um, iceberg analogy for success. So what you see is all of the success and the accolades. What you don't see is what you described as the sweat equity, like all of the the fear, all of the rejections that you've had, all of the quote unquote failures that you've had to date. Nobody actually sees that. What you see is oh wow, she's been really successful and she's achieved this or. You know, oh, wow well, she's run a marathon, and but what they haven't seen is the 5 a.m. 5 a.m. mornings getting up to train for it and and things like that. So, um, yeah, really really interesting insights there.
1: Do you know what, as well, a lot of the high performers are very good at blocking out those, um, those disappointments and, and those failures as well. So, while they understand that failure is a is a gift and it's learning um, you know if you ask them to summarize their career you know they would generally only focus on the on the wins and the, and the, and the highlights um, because they've got a really good because they understand that failure isn't a, a negative um, they can actually just move on really quickly and and they brush over it whereas sometimes people who struggle to uh, with resilience or or self-belief or, or, or self-confidence or to perform consistently they get hung up about the time that they didn't didn't perform well and it becomes it becomes a big i suppose uh, burden for them to carry whereas the, the a lot of the high performers they know what happened um and they dwelt on, on it at the time and they reviewed it and they they learned from it but then they're able to to park it and attack the next challenge so I think that's a, something that you, you need to be aware of. I think, you know, we, we want to analyze, you know, the, um, a lot of the sports teams at the moment are, are are copying, I suppose, um, you know, from, from surgeons who have a, and for, from, you know, military people who have this pre-mortem and post-mortem. So, you know, they've got a challenge ahead of them. So they do a pre-mortem, which is, you know, what could happen during that, during that event, you know, and try and, I suppose predict as, as much as you possibly can about what could happen. A, a huge area that um, a lot of the elite sport teams have copied from um, from high performing business teams and high performing um, medical teams for, for surgery, etc., and uh, and military teams was that you know pre mortem, post mortem. So they would spend a huge amount of time, you know, trying to analyse what was ahead of them. So if that's a match, or if that's a surgery, or if that's a you know a battle plan. Um, or uh, uh, you know a product launch, they will really, really spend their time analysing what could happen um, on a given day, or in an event, or in, in a in, a, uh, in a, a a topic that they need to fix. And then obviously they put the tools and the processes in place um, to manage that moment the best they possibly can. Uh, and then the event happens, and then after that, they do a post-mortem, and that post-mortem is, is you know, really detailed, um, really clinical. Um, they hold people to account. They hold themselves to account, and they take the learnings from that, and then they move on, um, and it's done then. They don't look back anymore. It's about the next event and the next pre-mortem, whereas I think sometimes, you know, the people who don't have that resilience or – who aren't as consistent or, or aren't moving forward um, as well as they possibly could? They keep looking back. They keep looking back at the event, and they look back at the failure, and they're overly critical of their own role in in maybe that failure, and that actually affects their ability um, to be successful at the next event because you know there's that negativity and sense of. I suppose um, a lack of a lack of self-worth sometimes that that we take on our uh, on our shoulders, um, which holds us back. So, you know, I think you know the really high performers that I that I've seen and the high performing teams, they don't shy away from analysing their their performance and what went wrong, and their role within that. But then they move on quickly, and they're much better at actually, I suppose, you know, carrying the positives and the moments of success. With them, um, and while they've recognized the, the failures completely, they seem to be able to leave them behind more. And uh, I think that's a great tool to have.
0: Is there something in particular that people could do? Like, is it about meditation, mindfulness, that type of stuff, or how how do people stop seeing the their own failure and having that kind of negative bias then come in and impact on other stuff?
1: Okay. Well, I just I just think it's look at. Again, and some of them maybe you know they probably need to to do a little bit more in in schools, but uh, and you know education and society, we just really need to look at the successful people that we all admire and look at their you know their track record and see that they have they failed. Some of them fail more than you know more than um, anyone else, but. Um, how they've been able to to get there and, and really that the, the struggle is part of the journey um, and the failures, you know, failures as I said are, are um, a huge part of, of, of becoming better and, and getting closer to, to success and, and the people who maybe haven't moved on sometimes analyse people who were who very talented I mean, um, but didn't fulfil that potential and, and why and, and often it was, it was because of that being overly hard on themselves um, without being able to furnish and and, and use that that self um, self awareness or, or self disciplining um, furnishing that with a with a plan to get better and, and to to be able to to move on to the next next challenge. So, I you know I, I just think study successful people um, and successful teams as much as you possibly can. But really focus in on the areas where you see um, them have had them having had a setback. And seeing how they reacted to that, and seeing how they didn't um, let that stop them, you know, moving forward and achieving their goal, and um, uh, there's lots of examples of it out there. But sometimes we don't, as I said, we you know we'll we we'll watch the highlights part, we we'll watch the end, we'll read the last chapter, but we don't see what happened, you know, uh, throughout their journey.
0: Yeah, and do you find recently that there's kind of a shift towards the? The uh, underbelly, for want of a better word. So it's kind of the people are showing a bit more of their failure, showing a bit more of the reality of what's going on, especially in this day and age of social media, where there was a time where very much everything was about the highlights. Do you see that happening where people are being a bit more authentic about how they got to where they got to or sharing the behind the scenes of what's really going on?
1: Yeah, I think, I think so. And I think we're like, well, you know, what I said... We're in an age of, of of i suppose the highlights um packages i also do think we're in an age where information is so freely available and um whether it's podcasting whether it's documentaries you know whether it's books um or whether it's you know actually contacting you know people that you admire and and and, and trying to get them meet a meeting for a coffee and um i think we can everybody's so accessible now there's so much information out there you know, I think we're very fortunate, and we should be. You know, we should be performing better than than ever because we have all the tools. So, um, and again, as you, I think the fact that people understand now how important the struggle is, again, those those elite people that we look up to aren't afraid actually to. They understand it themselves. They understand that's been a part of it, and they're not, they're not afraid to share it. So, there's lots of um, there's lots of reasons why you know, uh, it's probably never, it's probably never been a better time to actually perform better and and to improve as an individual. And we just need to, we need to want that and crave for that. And and I suppose tap into the resources that are out there.
0: Kind of going back to something that you had mentioned earlier and you you brought it up again there. It's like, we we need to kind of want that. Do you think that all people want to get better? Like, is that part of human nature that we just want to improve in some way.
1: I think the majority of people um uh want to improve. I think people who have you know strong strong set of goals um and, and are motivated to to achieve things, you know, they, they certainly do. Um I think the people maybe who are lacking lacking motivation are, are, are more likely to be you know stuck in a status quo and, and, and just Groundhog day um and just clocking in, clocking out. But I, I think I think, the, you know, the natural human instinct is to want to, wanna, to wanna achieve things and, and, and improve. And um, so I think there's a, there's a huge craving out there for um, for self-development and, and, and personal development. And, you know, it's um, it's brilliant. I, you know, I have so much admiration for for people who are, who are really hungry to, to get better.
0: So Bernard, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work?
1: Um, For me to be happy at work, I need to understand my role um, in the organisation, what's expected to me, and uh, feel that if I need um, I need help um, in terms of getting there, that you know people are willing to to help me. That I'm pretty 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 simple, or maybe it's very complex, but that's what um, that's what I suppose gives me a sense of of satisfaction. That I know what I'm being judged on, measured on. There's clarity around that, and then you know I like to just do my job to the best possible level and 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 constantly look for I suppose feedback and and um I suppose uh a way of knowing if I'm doing it well or how I'm doing and uh and then as I said do that post-mortem and then move on again so but that starts with actually knowing what your role is and and what's expected of you and how that that fits into the team team role
0: yeah yeah bang on brilliant and if people want to reach out and and connect with you, how what's the best way to go about doing that?
1: I'm On LinkedIn, um, uh, and I'm on uh, Twitter at at Bernard Jackman. Um, yeah, they're probably the two best. Uh, I, I, you know, I engage. Uh, I'm open for private messages on on Twitter, and 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 um, yeah, anyone who wants to add me on on LinkedIn, absolutely fire a message, and you know, I'm I'll, I'll always happy to meet for coffee or, or or have a Skype chat and and just talk about performance.
0: Brilliant. I really, really enjoyed our chat today. I probably could have asked you about a, a million other questions. I'm really, really interested in this no, whole worries, really area. Pleasure
1: and privilege to be, to be part of your podcast. I'm an avid listener.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much. If I could summarize what we spoke about on the podcast today, it would be this. Leadership starts with a really clear purpose. And with that clear purpose, you set clear expectations. You set clear expectations for the what and the how. The what is really about the strategy and the goals that you are trying to attain as a business. And the how is the culture and the behaviours associated with how you go about doing your business. And all of this hinges on giving and being open to receiving feedback about how you're performing. I love this whole idea of starting with why. It seems to be something that's spoken about an awful lot here and maybe a lot of people don't know how to do that. The purpose is bigger than individual needs. The real focus should be on the team and people should have a sense of pride around working for the organisation. The leaders should be the role models within the business and they should demonstrate how they expect other people to act. What is acknowledged becomes the norm then. So if you see something, you need to say something, whether that's positive or whether it's negative or constructive. Clearly defining how you're going to get there by using a strategy and a clear understanding of your role within that strategy is really crucial for success. There needs to be a focus on measuring and giving people accountability for achieving their own success. Communication is also really, really important, especially when it comes to Feedback As a leader, it's a crucial part of your role to give feedback to people. Look at it as giving someone a gift. You're helping them to achieve their goals. What makes a good leader or someone who gives great feedback is someone who has a really great self-awareness. So they know what they're really good at, but they also have the humility to admit what they're not so good at. Think of what makes you qualified to give the feedback. And also think about the quality of the feedback that you're providing. On the flip side, we all at some stage can be on the receiving end of feedback. And it's flipping how you view feedback. So we often see it as something that's quite negative. We tend to be afraid to fail as well. But if you see it as something, as an opportunity to learn, and if you have that growth mindset as well, and it's really focusing on, failing, and I, again, I don't really like to use that word, but failing helps us to learn how, we're, how we can improve and what we need to improve on. This discussion on feedback sort of led us into a chat more around the mindset type of stuff, so how we deal with disappointments. Um, so achievement tends to come from fa- failure, pain, loss of confidence and then gaining in confidence. You always need to find a way to succeed and find a way to get better. And as humans, we tend to want to be better. Challenging times offer us the chance to be better. And especially when we get feedback on how we can improve. If we follow a very definite process or plan and be really clear that success doesn't happen overnight. So oftentimes what we see is the result of years and years of effort that people have put in. It's the sweat equity, as we called it. But actually, what we neglect to look at is the years and years that it took to to reach that, quote unquote, overnight success. Bernard mentioned, and I totally agree, we live in a highlights world. And people kind of dismiss things and say, oh, she's just talented. Or she's just lucky. The difference is that high performers don't dwell on their failures. They take it as an opportunity to learn. Oftentimes, people who get stuck are the people who are overly critical of their own failure and they get stuck in a negative spiral. But look at failure as the path to success. Study what successful people are doing. And that wraps up pretty much what we spoke about. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode, I will put more details in the notes. You will find me across all social media, connect with me on LinkedIn, Aoife, O'Brien. You'll find me on empowermentcoaching.ie or on Twitter, empowerment underscore IE. I'm looking forward to connecting with you, to hearing your feedback about this podcast or any of the other podcasts. If you know someone who you think would enjoy the podcast, absolutely share it. There's multiple ways to share the podcast. You can share the links, you can share on social media, you can share by email and WhatsApp. Thanks for listening. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.